Hello and welcome to the first ever mailbag episode of Achievement yeah. Oriented, the Ringer's video game podcast, part of we the did. Ringer Podcast Network in New York. I'm Ben Lindbergh in LA for now. Jason, or I'm with Jason Concepcion. Jason, how are you? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing great. I've been playing a lot of uh, Star Wars Battlefront, and it's kind of I know of, you have. And it's been it's been good. Yeah, no, it's holding up. We're we're not having to worry about microtransactions no. and loot boxes for the moment no, no, until no, they no. probably bring them back in some form. But it's a, it's a really fun game. Yeah, and I know you're enjoying it. The more you play it, so yeah, we are. Our enthusiasm last week was not misplaced. So this week we're doing a, a post Thanksgiving episode. We wanted to. Give all of you something to listen to as you're traveling to and from home for the holidays or you're hiding somewhere from your family with a switch so you don't actually have to talk to anyone. Good, we good can move. give you a soundtrack to your, your Thanksgiving weekend. And we owe our listeners here for coming through. They've sent us many tweets to Achievement Pod on Twitter and have come up with a, a lot of really great questions for us here. So we haven't really talked about any of this. We're just kind of going in virtually cold here and we'll see how many of these we get through so here we go so brandon says do you have strong preferences between open world design Mm. or a traditional level structure i don't personally no i mean if the game is is well made then 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 not at all i i think that uh the 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 challenge of an open world game is how do you pack in enough content that that you're just not walking across this desert Yes, of, of but not no, with nothing so much to do. content, right? <laughs> that we're we're afraid to play your game. Yeah, I, you need both, right? We need yeah. a mix of both. I would be sad if traditional level structures went away because there's a a level of detail that you get with a single player game that has these very perfectly crafted yes. levels where the developer can curate the experience and knows what you're going to be doing more or less at any given time. And you can just add a a richness to the environment that is difficult to do in an open world game. So I would be sad if, if they went away. Obviously, we all have some level of open world fatigue just because the model has become so prevalent. But then Breath of the Wild comes out and suddenly a game that was traditionally linear is now open world and does it better than anything else. And I think we're all happy that the potential exists for a game like that to come out. So yeah, you need both. We don't want all of one, all of the other, but I I think there are still benefits to each and you can evaluate them differently. So same Brandon has a question that is related here as AAA games get more expensive to make. We've talked about that a lot lately. What areas would you be willing to most accept trade-offs in a game for a new and riskier intellectual property? Wow. <laughs> That's a deep, think, deep question and very interesting. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think, you know, some of the most interesting games really, uh, I don't even think that this is a, this is not even a, a hot take. The, the most interesting stuff has really been happening in, on the indie level um, yep. for the most part. That's where you get the most experimentation, uh, where you get um, new explorations of older aesthetics, 16-bit aesthetics, more pixelized aesthetics, games like Stardew and different games like that. Uh, any of the games off uh, Chucklefishes, the, the publisher who did Stardew's stable, any of, any of those games, games like PUBG, um, those are really where you get the interesting experiments with genre and format. I mm-hmm. think... That just by the nature of AAA games, you're just not going to see AAAs push push the boundaries in any meaningful way, or get mm-hmm. get risky in any meaningful way. That's the place where these kind of uh, traditional game mechanics and uh, you know blue chip IPs go to make money. Right. The it's, indies it's, are kind of the, the right. testing ground. And when something succeeds there, then it can be appropriated by the big publishers. And I think one thing that we are both in agreement on is it's okay if there is less game in yeah. your game. <laughs> We're both fine with that. Don't feel like every game has to be a 60-hour experience. It's it's great. There's a place for those. But if you can make a game that has the quality of a big-budget AAA title – but is just a more compact experience. Maybe it's 12 hours, maybe it's eight hours. I think 
we're we're fine with that. And so don't feel like you have to just stick content in there right. so that you can check a box and say this game will satisfy you, will placate you for 30 hours. It doesn't have to do that. I I remember games that were fast experiences that were single sitting playthroughs yes. but did something different and we're both okay with that. And I think often it's just stripping away mechanics that you don't necessarily need. Like earlier this year, we talked about a game called Rhyme and I had a a developer interview with the maker of Rhyme. And by the way, Rhyme is now out for Switch. So you could play it on Switch, although I understand that the port is not done all that well. But one of the interesting things about Rhyme was that they started out to make this open world game that had everything in it and had crafting and combat and just all these different systems. And For various reasons, they had to trim a lot of that and cut back on a lot of that. And I didn't care at all when I played Rhyme. I thought it was great. I didn't think it needed any more of that extra stuff. Sometimes it just gets in the way. It can be overwhelming. And that would be my advice. Just don't feel like you have to cram in every kind of mechanic that we've experienced over the past few years. Just do your own thing. Make it the best it can be. And we'll like it. So yeah, I, I think that's my advice. You know, it's it's a lot like the kind of the challenges that the first person shooter format has come under um, just in recent iterations, just kind of groaning under all these bells and whistles. And I think that, you know, it's just triple A's are the summer movie of video games. And it's yeah. just like you, there's just not a lot of room for experimentation in, in movies like that. Mm-hmm. And then related question from Isaac, who says, do you think we are going to return to the days of tons of new IP soon, or are we going to continue to get mega franchises like Call of Duty and Gears of War and Halo and Uncharted for the foreseeable future? And I think, obviously, mega franchises are not going away. As right. you noted, there's a lot of indie experimentation. So the new stuff is out there. Like, obviously, yeah. the industry as a whole is very sequel-dependent and brand-dependent, but I wouldn't say there's a shortage of original work being done either. I and mean, it, Overwatch there's, is there's new IP. Too much to play. You know, it's like sure. Uh, at the same time, you know, the, then there's games like Lawbreakers, which didn't sell well, which had a you know mm-hmm. um, great people behind it. Uh, like you said, and much like summer tentpole movies, is a sequel dependent genre in the AAA's. Right. Yeah. I mean, the more money it takes to make a game or a good game, the the less risk you're going to want to take on. You're going to want to have some kind of known commodity that people will come out and purchase because they know the name and they know the character. And that's the case with comic book movies. It's the case with video games. And that's, that's going to continue to be the case. But yeah. I never feel like we're getting so many sequels that there aren't still more good original games than I have time to play, really. So yeah. I think we're we're in an okay spot. All right. right. So Kevin says, what are the games you haven't had a chance to get around to, oh, man. let's say this year, maybe, that you want to <laughs> play over the holidays or, or ones that you haven't had a chance to discuss on the podcast? I'm about to mention like 15 games, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I had uh, Wolfenstein... Yes, really gotten, I'm with you there. Haven't yeah. gotten to dig into. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I should go back and play New Order, the first game, right. which I never played before. I played this one, so that's holding me back. But that's on my list for sure. Assassin's Creed. I've I've scratched the surface, but Star Wars Battlefront right. kind of threw me for a loop there. I'll come back to it yeah. for sure. Yeah, one thing about doing this podcast is that I don't know about you, but I've probably played more video games this year than yeah, I have in same. in any recent year just cuz we're trying to at least dabble in everything and especially with the last couple of months when there's a new big game coming out every week, sometimes we'll just play enough to talk about it and then there will be another big game that we have to talk about the next yep. week so you never end up finishing the first one so i have this trail of unfinished games just littered behind me so there are a lot of games like that that we maybe have talked about but that i really have to go back and play like i don't know i'm thinking of like near automata for instance yep, which i i started and played but have not spent nearly enough time with i feel that's, like justin charity one. will will disown us as human yes, beings if we I don't know. play that game <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Cuphead, I never quite finished. I have Same. to go back and, and finish that. So a lot of games like that, and there are a lot of games that we've just missed. Oh, by the way, Destiny, right? Neither right, yeah. of us, I, I think, <laughs> has finished Destiny. <laughs> I, well, here's <laughs> Which, the thing. I yeah. am, I I just feel like, man, what, do I really have the time? 
Do I really yeah. <laughs> have the time to dedicate to de- like at least with Star Wars Battlefront or Stardew or even you know or, or or Mario? Like I pick it up for ten minutes and not feel terrible, but mm-hmm. it's like man, if I'm not in there in Destiny grinding away like every day, Mario right. Mario Rabbids Kingdom Battle is another one that yes. I've uh-huh. I've dabbled with that Completely I'd like to play more. That. Yeah, uh-huh. um, yeah. There's just so many games. <laughs> There is. I want to play Shovel Knight. I have missed Shovel Knight, and that's out for Switch mm. and is supposedly great. So I, I definitely want to get into that maybe over the holidays. I never even attempted Persona 5. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I have I, I the played, courage. I played like half a, half a level, and I'm like, oh, man, I can't. There's, I can't play a 100-hour <laughs> game. I can't. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. But yeah, there's there's just so much. Probably over the holidays when I actually have a slow week, I'll just yeah. pull up the the middle Metacritic list for 2017 and say, okay, I missed that. I missed oh, that. NBA here's, 2K18? Mm, have not yeah. played it. <laughs> uh, it's not, I'm not joking. Have not played it. <laughs> wow. You're just so humble. You don't I even just, have to see yeah. your words up there on the screen. Yeah, I just, just can't. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Kyle is also doing some catch up here. So he says, what are the top games you'd like to see ported to the Switch? <sighs> also, what's a genre that's fallen out of vogue that you'd like to see refreshed and gain some popularity? So any most wanted Switch games? I mean, I, as I think we talked about last week, we just want everything. Yeah, that everything. Is not every, currently every, on Switch to be every, on Switch. Every, every back. Um, all the all the. The archives of Nintendo, I feel like, should be on Switch. Yeah. I understand that would undercut, uh, you know, the the their portable Nintendo and the SNES and all these other mm-hmm. uh, products that they're trying to push. It just makes too much sense. Why don't you do this, Nintendo? Um, mm-hmm. Those would be absolutely incredible. You know, if, yeah, and if I, they could get some classic open world games like a GTA on there, I've Skyrim obviously mm-hmm. is is people are. Um, really surprised at how well it performs on the Switch. I'd love to see right. something like that, too. Yeah, I think we're going to see much more of those now that we've seen some games come along as as proofs of concept. But I'm with you on the Nintendo back catalog, and I actually, as great as it would be to see some very old games come back onto Switch, I'd really like to see some recent games that I missed because I didn't have a Wii U. And yeah. Wii U was the first Nintendo console that... I haven't owned and I'm not alone there. So there were, you know, a lot of good Wii U games that I never played that I'd love to see ported to Switch. Like, also, you know, Super Super Mario 3D World or right. Pikmin 3 or Mario Maker. I mean, you know, all the highlights of that console that I missed. Please bring them to Switch. Smash. Where's Smash? Yes. Where is yes. Smash? Oh, definitely. Where definitely is Smash? Smash. I, I don't <laughs> understand. That is one I do not understand. Don't understand. Yeah, it. actually, yeah, we, we got a, another question that I'll just go to now from Thomas, who said, now that Zelda and Mario both have a mainline entry on the Switch, are there any other Nintendo franchises, announced or unannounced, that you're looking forward to playing on the best console of 2017? And and yeah, I think Smash. Smash. (laughs) 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 Obviously, we're all looking forward to Metroid, and that's coming, and it's going to take some time, but Smash, I think, is the obvious one. And you know, I, I know that a lot of people want Mario Party for... Switch, I know mm-hmm. there's a, a 3DS game coming out very soon, but Mario Party on the on the Switch would be great because, you know, it's such a, a portable system for a party game. It's very well suited. Yep. You could just bring it, hook it up to the TV. So I think that makes a lot of sense. All right. Isaac is also dipping into the back catalog here. He says, finally pulling the trigger on a PS4 this year. Congratulations. Yes. What are the three to five essential games I need to have in my library on day one for PS4? I mean, now we're we're talking about catching up with many years here. I know the system with probably the most games on it. So Uncharted. It's tough to narrow it down. Yeah, right. Uncharted, maybe the Uncharted Collection, yep. which you you went back and replayed right when when four came out. You can see. So, I mean, it, for the story, if you want to go all th- all the way through, it's interesting. It really doesn't get good mechanically. Until mm-hmm. like halfway through two or in, and definitely three. Right. The opening of yeah. three is, is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just the, the whole Uncharted catalog, obviously GTA 5, yep. The Last of Us, you'll want to play oh, to yeah. get ready for Horizon part Zero two. Dawn. And it's right. Last of Us Remastered is out. Horizon Zero Dawn, of course. Yes. Metal Gear Solid 5. Yes. Maybe I'm, I'm not really a, a Metal Gear guy, but of course many people are. Last Guardian. Yeah. Sure. 
uh, Last Guardian, you know, Overwatch, if you don't have Overwatch. So, I mean, there's it's too many really to narrow it down to, to three or five, but I think the ones that we've just named, good place to start. All right, let's take one now from... Let's see. Kyle says, Wolfenstein has a nearly impossible trophy. Beat the game on max difficulty without dying once. <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. He says, sales of the game have suffered, and many trophy hunters say that that trophy is news. why. Yeah. I'm, I'm not buying that. percent That is Might some Breitbart shit, right? <laughs> with the fact that like, 10 other games came out the same week, including yeah. a Nazi killing game yes. in Call of Duty. Bad timing. I feel like Wolfenstein kind of is in like the Titanfall 2 right. slot of last year where Titanfall 2 came out between Battlefield and Call of Duty and it was like bad timing guys and probably the same thing here but Kyle says have you ever avoided a game because of a hard trophy and I guess I'll ask you have you ever Never. sought out a game because of a no. trophy that is no. a, that is a 100% no yeah despite the name of this podcast I am not a trophy hunter an achievement hunter I get like some tiny dopamine burst i right. guess when the message flashes up on the screen that i got a trophy but i will not look to see what trophies <laughs> i could get I'll, I'll make zero conscious effort to <laughs> to unlock an achievement or get a trophy it that, just does not what motivate. an incredible take that take is that take is up there with like uh That's you like know Papa liberal John's positions is why espn is losing protests in football yes yeah. 100% yeah incredible yeah, take I, <laughs> from the trophy yeah, hunters I, out there why do we not care about? <laughs> why are we not trophy hunters? Why, because why I just do we don't play. You know, I, I appreciate that everyone uh, has a subjective way of of approaching a game. I think that's why gaming is is incredible. Um, yeah, uh, the interactivity allows you to play your own way in a way that that uh, satisfies you. Uh, at the same time, that's just crazy that that would hurt. You know, there's yeah, like there's some huge groundswell. No. I can't. We can't <laughs> get this trophy. I have to cancel my pre order now, guys. Come on. No. No, that sounds very far-fetched to me. All right. Bob says, we've got a couple of esports questions mm. here. So so Bob says, curious to hear your thoughts on the influx of established money and brands into esports, Jerry Jones, the Cavs, et cetera, especially how those interests may clash with the often toxic gamer culture seen in places like Twitch chat. And I know this is something you've written about, so we'll get into that. Ben also wants to know, about our feelings on the upcoming Overwatch League and, and ALCS. Can sportsy leagues like these work in esports? So thoughts on the influx of money and brands and the crossover between esports and traditional sports and Overwatch League as well. Well, I think I think the influx of traditional money and uh, stick and ball money is essentially the only way to really cleanse the more unseemly elements from mm -hmm. esports culture. Right. Um, that's just the only way it's, it's every happen. week now. Right. It's we're every hearing a story about, you know, someone was streaming yeah. and said something awful yeah, <laughs> and yeah. now is suspended or whatever. That stuff's, you know, it, it's it's going to go away to a certain extent when you have corporate sponsors who are going to pull out when that kind of thing happens. Right. I think that's that's the only way it happens. And and to the broader question, my feelings on the over, upcoming Overwatch League, I mean, I, like you I'm watching it with a lot of interest to see really how popular this can be. As some of the numbers that were thrown around for franchise buy-in, $20 million, that's not confirmed, are truly insane seeming. Mm -hmm. And if they were accurate, would either – would speak to – the people involved having some kind of knowledge about or understanding of the current landscape of sports that's uh, would be revolutionary in some way. So, I, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm watching it with a lot of interest, um, not just because of uh, we're seeing like a new format for sports being born, but because of the, um, the questions it raises for e-commerce, commerce through broadcast. Right. Um, uh, Integrated teams, male and female players playing on the same team. Uh, mm -hmm. There's just a lot of questions that are inherent to the esports uh, genre that that we can explore if, assuming that this this sports league takes off. And then there's right. you know there's the you know what 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 experience do people like Jerry Jones bring to this besides uh, a knowledge of how to make lots of money? They've dealt with. Um, 
player upheaval, player unions for decades. So that's mm-hmm. going to be a thing to to watch as esports presumably becomes more popular. What happens when players strike? Can players strike? Can they unionize? What happens? Um, yes. That's that's something to watch in the future. I can't wait for Jerry Jones to order his esports players <laughs> not to kneel. I mean, it's going to be a great story. Yep. <laughs> so we're going to return to this topic very soon because the Overwatch League exhibition games start next month and then it really starts up in earnest in January. So we'll probably do an episode or two devoted to that sometime soon. For now, let's take a quick break. Let's hear from our prized sponsors and we'll be right back in a minute or two with more questions from you guys. Student loans can completely wipe you out if you don't get a handle on them. How are you going to be getting games if you're weighed down by student loans? How do you get out from under this load? Credible.com. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's one option. (laughs) How do you get out from under this load without getting in trouble with the government? Is maybe a better question. Credible.com. Credible.com is an online marketplace for student loan refinancing and using their simple platform, it takes less than two minutes to find out if you're overpaying on your student loans. Plus, you can save thousands. Do you have any video games you could buy with thousands by refinancing? All you have to do is visit Credible.com slash AO. Answer a few quick questions and right away, you'll get real rates, not ranges of rates, the real ones from multiple lenders. Credible.com is a completely free service to use. Checking your rates will not affect your credit score, so you really have nothing to lose. The average user who refinances through Credible.com saves almost $19,000 over the life of their loan. You can afford an Xbox One X for that amount of money. Almost. Pretty close. Think about what you could do with $19,000. And for a limited time, our listeners will get a $200 welcome bonus when refinancing through Credible.com slash AO. So pay off your student loans faster or lower your monthly payment. Whatever works for you, just go to Credible.com slash AO. There are only two words you need to remember while making your list and checking it twice this holiday season. Tommy John. The revolutionary men's underwear brand that's redefined comfort for guys everywhere, including me. All Tommy John underwear is crafted from lightweight, breathable fabrics that move with you, never against you. That means the legs never ride up, the waistband never rolls down, and it's impossible to get a wedgie. Tommy John underwear also features a game-changing horizontal quick-draw fly plus a breathable contour pouch to nestle the goods. Innovation never takes a day off at Tommy John, even during the holidays. They're constantly thinking of new ways to help guys feel more comfortable, like patented undershirts that stay tucked in and pull perspiration right off your body. Socks with proprietary stay-up technology and a whole lot more. Plus, all the Tommy John underwear is backed by their best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. With over half a million men upgraded to a more comfortable life, there's only one Tommy John. No adjustment needed. Give the gift of life-changing comfort for the holidays to yourself or someone else with Tommy John. Go to TommyJohn.com slash achievement for 20% off your first order. That's TommyJohn.com slash achievement for 20% off. Plus, get extra savings with exclusive holiday daily deals only at TommyJohn.com slash achievement. All right, we're back. We've got a couple related questions here about how you get kids into gaming, how you start them on this path. And so Stroopaloop wants to know, what game would you give as a gift to a young gamer? Any platform, any version. And then David says... What's the proper way to raise and train a gamer child? I'm thinking start with 8 or 16-bit games and work up the complication from there. Kids starting with today's newfangled games is like teenagers spending too much time in AAU. (laughs) Got to learn the fundamentals. Wow. (laughs) So disclaimer, neither of us has actually raised or trained a gamer child. So we don't know what we're talking about here, but we have been gamer children. So what are your thoughts on, on how to get a gamer into the industry. Well, I think the Switch comes along at a perfect time. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think the the drawback of the switch is that uh, a child will probably break it within five minutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, your that screen will be scratched. It will be soon. scratched. Uh, the tiny buttons will be pried out. That said, <laughs> um, Mario, Breath of the Wild, great games mm-hmm. uh, for kids. Extremely yeah. creative would certainly spur the imagination. Minecraft on any console, I would imagine, is a game mm-hmm. that. Uh, would be wonderful for kids. and Yeah, and that's on mobile, Xbox, and Switch. I mean, those are those are games that, that I would look into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my thought on this is don't worry too much about providing a, a syllabus yeah. or kind of holding their hand. I agree with you on, on Minecraft, obviously. But I think the way I got into games, no one tutored me you know no one said these are the great games that you must experience before you play today's games and I'm gonna you know perfectly tailor this experience to you I think I just I got hooked and I played the new stuff and the popular stuff and then eventually I I got to know about the old stuff and I went back and played some of that I I think it's sort of like an if you build it they will come kind of situation just if you're a gamer if you have games in the house if they're seeing you play games then they're going to want to do it too. And I don't think you necessarily have to give them a a full course in the history of video games to get them up to speed. Just hook them with whatever is going to get them into the pastime, and then eventually they'll branch out on their own. And and so I I think Breath of the Wild is a perfect way to do that because just my own experience, I got an NES some years after it came out. That was my first console. I got it for my sixth or seventh birthday, I think. And I got Legend of Zelda, the gold cartridge. Mm. And that is a game that has a lot of similarities with Breath of the Wild, just in its open worldness and the fact that it doesn't hold your hand and it's about exploration. And I had no idea what I was doing when I was playing Legend of Zelda as a six or seven year old. That's right? part but, of the fun is discovering yeah. of, of gaming is just discovering the things you can do as a kid. I remember that, that, yes. you know, that feeling of fascination of just like, what can exactly. I do? In here? What am I doing? How do I figure this out? It's great. Yeah, it was intoxicating. Maybe some people would have bounced off that and said, I don't know what I'm doing. This is frustrating. And, you know, I don't think I ever finished the game. I didn't really have the the problem-solving capabilities to do that. But I think Breath of the Wild, even more so. I mean, that's a game you can just run around in the world and experiment with the physics. And just you don't have to necessarily solve all the the dungeons and shrines and everything. You can just experience the world of, of Hyrule as it's presented on Switch. And I think that will get kids hooked so that's that's how i would recommend doing it just put the games in front of them and i think they will find their way to the rest all right noah says what gaming misfire of 2017 has been the most disappointing to you Hmm. what has been the biggest pleasant surprise i would i would say that we'll both probably say the switch has been the biggest pleasant surprise we've talked about that plenty (laughs) i i had my doubts about whether the switch would be as big a hit as it's been and they've all been answered so we could probably just say that's the answer to that. Is there anything that you have found disappointing, whether it's a trend or a specific game that didn't turn out the way you were hoping for it to? Uh, gaming misfire. You know, I think I've I've uh, criticized this Call of Duty a lot over the last mm-hmm. year. But I think uh, certainly Call of Duty Goes to Space is like one of the – that's a thing you do when you're completely out of ideas <laughs> – um, yeah. So I would I say, like space, so yeah. I was fine with it. But yes, you know. So for me, it, it, that would be, it, it would be the the end of the modern warfare line of Call of Duty, and the fact that uh-huh. it had to return to the World War II format, which is basically a, a great excuse to strip away a lot of the extraneous bells and whistles and different features and perks and things that had really overloaded mm-hmm. the game. Yeah. Well, I would say aside from the microtransaction and loot box stuff that we've talked about yeah. that unfortunately has overshadowed some games that are very good at their core, I'm going to say VR. This has not been a, yeah. a great year for VR. A great, that's really. a great take. Yeah, we, we talked about VR a lot last year, maybe early this year, and lately – we just we haven't had really the opportunity or the need to talk about it much because it's just sort of hit this lull where last year all this great hardware came out and you know even if it wasn't necessarily adopted in a mainstream way 
it was new and sexy and a big leap forward for VR. And we were constantly feeling envy of people who had VR rigs because they were games that we wanted to play. And I just haven't felt that a lot lately. And, you know, I don't think that VR is dead or anything. I think this is probably still just kind of the growing pains before eventually someone figures this out. But there have been a lot of articles, you know, like Bloomberg published a big piece in April about this trough of disillusionment, they called it, this kind of adjustment period for VR, where developers found that, well, it's not that profitable to make games in VR because not that many people have VR. So a lot of developers have gotten out of this. There's still issues with the hardware and the price points and the nausea. And I know some of the price points have fallen, but still, if you weren't into VR last year, 2017 hasn't given you a lot of new reasons to get into it. And that's disappointing. And again, I think it's a, a bump along the road, but I'm not sure how long this bump is, is going to last because it, it hasn't been an encouraging year. Yeah, I, kind of uh, expounding, expanding off of that, Skyrim VR was recently released. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Widely panned. Yeah. A lot of the critiques are things like Skyrim VR is hilarious and weird and made me throw up. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. So uh, still some uh, kinks work out in the format. Yes, definitely. All right. Let's take a question from, uh, okay, this is an interesting one from Twitter user LM Entral. He says, do you think Breath of the Wild has Game of the Year locked up despite having a significantly weaker story than games like Persona 5 or Horizon Zero Dawn? I know gameplay is the most important thing in any game, but Horizon and Persona both have great gameplay too. And this is a conversation I guess we're going to be having in a month or so. So what do you think? Has this been a done deal since Mm. March, basically? I actually actually do. Just um, the praise has been... Almost universal. And then the things you hear from people inside the industry, you know, the, of um, level designers, different right. uh, posts on NeoGAF, just people being like, wow, this, like, uh, Breath of the Wild, we're talking about it in our offices, about, like, the how they did this or how they did that. I just mm-hmm. think... Um, I just think, yeah, it does It does have it locked up. I, I love Horizon Zero Dawn. I think it was one of my favorite games of the year. Um Everything about its presentation and the story is amazing. Um, yep. But there's something like magical about Breath of the Wild that, yeah. that is really incredible. You know, the what they were able to do in terms of tailoring that game to the system yes. is amazing. The fact that I can just stand somewhere and look out almost all the way across <laughs> Hyrule and see this, you know, this vast dragon circling a Right. flaming mountain in the distance and then walk there over mm-hmm. the you know it would probably take me an hour to get there but still yeah. that is just unbelievable to have accomplished that on this console it's truly yeah. an amazing game yeah that's been a, a trope in video game marketing for years now like oh you can go anywhere right. you can see on the screen but in breath of wild it's really true and you can climb anything and it's just boundaryless and I think the fact that that was a launch title and that it just on day one demonstrated the capabilities of the Switch and was just the perfect game for the Switch because it was a game about being able to go anywhere with a console that you can take and play anywhere. And it really did feel like many months ago, Zelda just had this locked up basically. And, you know, there have been many, many great games that have come along since. And I mean, any other year we'd be talking about Mario Odyssey yeah. and Persona 5 and Horizon and just all of the, the great highlights of 2017. But it really does feel like it's a fight for second place at this point. So, all right. Neil says, what do you consider the greatest gaming era? I vote for the SNES Genesis early 90s era, quality titles coming out regularly but not overly saturated like today, EGM and GameFan magazines were awesome, no quick internet lookup for cheats, codes, walkthroughs, etc. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Uh, you know what? I got to say, like in terms of like a challenge, I'll never forget spending an entire summer vacation on games with like three friends just putting our heads together trying to figure out like how to finish metroid or something like that at the same Mm -hmm. time like you go back and play those games and it's just they're not that great it's just there was nothing else to do literally nothing else to do Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah (laughs) 
That's so, the thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess. I mean, Neil, I don't want to be too presumptive here, but I'm going to guess you were born in 1980, let's say. I mean, I think that <laughs> what you consider the greatest gaming era, I think it's it's like whenever you talk about anything, like, you know, when people talk about the greatest era for a sport or something, it's always the era when they were like 12 years old, which is understandable because that's when you get introduced to it. That's when your love is formed for it. That's when you have the most time to consume it. Right. And then everything else after that seems like it's it's different. It's scary. It's a change. I don't like it. And I, I have to say, I think the greatest gaming era is the current era. I, I, <laughs> I, don't know. I, I think that too. You know, like there's yeah. there's something for everyone. You want to play cutting edge, there is. play a cutting edge uh, game with the, the most incredible, shiny, popping graphics. You can do right. that. You want to play something that's a throwback to the 16-bit era, but that has yeah. surprising depth. You can do that. You want to play a platformer. Yeah. You can Play all of the platformers basically that have ever come out. You can play yes, the. You can go internet- back and play the SNES Genesis. Yeah, you games can play the Japanese <laughs> games. You can play. You can play yeah. any game that you want, and uh, I a hundred percent agree. This is the best yeah. era. Yeah, beware of nostalgia. Yes. It's it's valuable, but it can color our our thoughts and and yeah, like I I remember getting gaming magazines as he's mentioning, yeah. you know, and it was great because but I think the reason it was great is that there was nothing else out right. there. So it was your only lifeline. It was the only way you were going to find out about this stuff and see this stuff. And sure, today, I mean, there's just such a, a torrent, just a deluge of content. Maybe you don't get the same special feeling from your monthly game magazine, but it's just because there's so much excellent, amazing reporting and writing out there right. now that there's just those those once a month installments were just kind of crowded out of the market. So, yeah, I think uh, times have never been better, which is something a lot of people have been saying all the time in 2017. Yeah. I know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. So Snapping Turo on Twitter says, I just coerced my wife to buy me a Switch, mostly wow. based on your collective raves. <laughs> It's great, and Mario is incredible. My fear is that Nintendo will release a Switch 3D or some Nintendo-ish equivalent in 2018 or 19, and I'll hate myself for not waiting any reason to have this fear. Absolutely not. I mean, even if that happens, the fact that you get to spend time with Mario and Breath of the Wild and all the other, you know, uh, Mario Kart Deluxe, Mm -hmm. like all of these games, the fact that you get to spend these intervening months with, with these games... Even assuming that a new console comes out is is worth it. Mm-hmm. I love my Switch. Right. I really yeah. love my Switch. And 3D, like, come on, it'll give you a headache. It's not even, <laughs> is 3D even that great? Yeah, no. Yeah, we're in the age of the mid-generation console yep. update, so you can never rule anything out. But I would guess, I mean, the thing is selling so well that there's no incentive for Nintendo to change anything right now. I'd just wait until the sales and the enthusiasm tail off and then get people excited by upgrading it in some way. I'd guess we'd see maybe a, a storage space upgrade, something modest like that, maybe some slight improvement in the, the build quality of the console, but I wouldn't expect anything that will make you feel bad about buying a Switch for, for some time now. All right, question from at Search Warrant. I'm curious how you guys think a streaming service like Twitch has changed the conversation around video games, its industry, and how games have evolved into entertainment akin to movies and TV, where watching narrative can be just as enjoyable as playing. And, you know, we've talked about this, touched on this topic uh, once or twice on the pod, but any broad thoughts about this? Just that... uh it, it's it's interesting to explain Twitch and video game streaming to people who have no experience with it. And mm-hmm. the thing that I keep coming back to is it's really – it's a very traditional format in a sense. It's really just a talk show. The most popular ones yeah. anyway are, yeah. are personality-driven talk shows essentially where you just watch a person uh, interact with you, talk with you through the medium of them playing a video game. They don't even have to necessarily be good at a video game. And I think um, the thing we learned from that is a thing that, that's been uh, in force throughout entertainment for a long time, which is that personality-driven things are popular and win. I think that uh-huh. um, inside of that are just interesting questions about, um, you know, like the dystopian nature of of this new media. Like, you know, watching people have to spend eight and nine hours um, streaming in order to survive, essentially, is uh, mm-hmm. something I think we'll see in the future. Um, there's a story in The New Yorker 
re- a recent story in the New Yorker about Twitch and about streaming, and it talks about how, um, you know, how unhealthy it is to sit for eight and nine and ten hours right. a day. And it talks yeah. about how, uh, you know, this one uh, there's a an agent who deals with streamers and how there's. He's had several clients have heart attacks because mm-hmm. they sit down for 10 hours a day. And I think <laughs> those kind of questions about, you know, the dark side of streaming will be are the, are the ones that, that really interest me as stuff like this, tools like this become uh, more accessible and more people jump into streaming as a way to make money and or mm-hmm. augment their income. Yeah. And on the positive side, I think it's become easier for a game with a very distinctive look or some new hook to break through because it's changed the way that video games are marketed. I think, you know, publishers will send out copies to influential streamers and there's this kind of strange prid quo quo there that I think people are still navigating and figuring out how that works is this copyright infringement are we compromised by kind of being dependent on the companies for letting us do this but i think it has helped in some cases really get the word out about some games and some games that might have had a a hard time just breaking through the torrent of releases now have a way to do that where you just send it to the right person at the right time and you can get hundreds of thousands, millions of people exposed to your game at an important time. All right. Question from John. What is your current and all-time favorite party game? Wow. I, I'm a married man now. I don't go to parties anymore. I don't know if I have a favorite current party game. But I will say my all-time favorite, and this actually I think ties into a question that we kind of skipped over earlier about a genre that's fallen out of vogue that we'd like to see come back. I think rhythm games and music yeah. games, Rock which have fallen on great. hard times. Rock Band was just the best. Yeah. And Rock there are still fun. times when I will bring out Rock Band if some people are over and want to play. And I I mean, that came out when I was in college. It was the perfect time for that. And, you know, we got all the instruments. We, all my roommates in the house yes. I was living in just were part of the band. We downloaded all the songs. <laughs> it was like an obsession for a while. And. They really saturated the market. Oversaturated. It was, yeah. Yeah. It was just like 10 years ago, I think Rock Band came out, and there have just been so many sequels, and then Guitar Hero and Guitar Hero Rock Band copycats. And I think people just got sick of it and all the plastic peripherals accumulating everywhere. But I hope that after a little time to kind of decompress and and have some withdrawal from that genre, that it will come back in some way. And I know that. Rock Band VR, which I have not played, is is supposedly a, a great fresh reinvention of that. So that's my pick for for both genre that needs to be revived and all time favorite part. Absolutely, I mean that's a game that people would take pictures of you playing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, embarrassing what I mean? videos yeah, of your it's... fake guitar face while you're playing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Michael says, I'm an older gamer, 38 years old. That's not that old, Michael, who doesn't want to play online. I have other contemporaries who share this opinion. Ben and Jason, will there continue to be games for me to play or will the online model eventually shove off self-contained video game experiences? I'm keeping my PS2 just in no, case. That's, that's not going <laughs> to happen. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, the Switch, is, the Switch is uh, the example of that. You know, Mario... Mm-hmm. Uh, Breath of the Wild, all these games that we keep mentioning are great examples of self-contained games that you don't have to, that have multi, some of them, like Mario Kart, has a multiplayer component, but you don't have to engage with it at all. It's not It's not that important. It's not crucial to the game. It's not like Overwatch where you can't play it unless you play online. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. many of those experiences. Uncharted is another example. Like, there's, right. those, those are never going away, ever. Yeah, right. And I'm with you, Michael. I play mostly single-player games, although I, I wouldn't want to forsake multiplayer games either, and I was heartened to see that there was enough fan feedback after the first Battlefront that people were clamoring for a single-player campaign, and now we have that. So I think that demand is still out there. And, I mean, look, people are always going to have times when they're by themselves and or they just don't want to be in a a team-based or or head-to-head kind of experience, and you're always going to want crafted stories it's hard to tell stories in an online multiplayer game so you're always going to have single player campaigns so no i think at various times there has been concern about this and obviously the economics of it can make single player challenging at times when you're talking about 
games as a service and needing to keep players hooked forever. But but no, single player games are are not going away. So let's take a couple more here before we wrap up. One related question from James says, one thing I find difficult to do is compare the quality of repetitive multiplayer games like Overwatch or Destiny to singular narrative-driven experiences Mm. like Bioshock or The Last of Us. Similar to TV and film, are those two types of games distinctly separate and critically incomparable? So how do you weigh the the quality of a single-player game against an online multiplayer game? I I, I don't. I, I I judge them differently. Right. Those are two completely different styles of game, um, mm-hmm. almost unrelated styles of game. I mean, you, you could game like Overwatch that has a lore and has some story elements, but it's up to you whether you want to engage with them. The Last of Us is completely different. That's much more traditional story structure. Um there's no way to play that game without following the story path as laid out by the writers and developers. Um, right. Those are just completely, completely different philosophies. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there are games that combine both. Yes. Whether it's Destiny or you know any of the like Battlefront or Call of Duty or Battlefield, all of those have single player campaigns. But the ones that are more multiplayer oriented. You know going in that your expectations for the single-player campaign are are lowered, are limited, and I think that's one of the reasons why we were so excited and impressed by Titanfall 2 in our very first episode of this podcast because we went in expecting the standard single-player campaign that's kind of grafted onto the core multiplayer experience, and then that game turned out to be a very, you know, representative, just legitimate single player experience that actually innovated in first person shooters. I mean, that's not the kind of thing you typically get in those games. But I think just the fact that you go into those games saying this is a multiplayer game and sure there's a single player campaign and that might be fun for a while, too, but you don't have the same experiences. That just that's evidence of the fact that we evaluate these genres completely differently. And that's fine. They're, They're different experiences. We need both of them. All right, maybe we can wrap up on this one. This is from Sean. He says, if you could do a rewatchables podcast, maybe call it replayables, for a retro replayable game, what would you choose? Would you take Ocarina? Would you take Final Fantasy VI? Anything come to mind? Oh, man. I think the first Halo, the first mm. Halo campaign is, I think, maybe it's, I think it's my favorite first person shooter campaign just because of the, um, surprising thematic switches that happen when you go all of a sudden the flood comes in um, and it's like this horror survival game and then the the last level where you're escaping from the ship and you have to drive the warthog out is like genuinely thrilling um i i think it would be halo combat evolved that is my pick <laughs> okay yeah i'm gonna just tease something that we're currently in the planning stages for dun, dun, as dun, many dun, of dun. you know yeah 1998 might be the best year ever in video games. If you look at the top video games of 1998, it's just an incredible litany of classic and influential games. And we're planning a a year-long series for 2018 where we revisit all of those games and talk about them on the podcast, write about them for the site. So I won't give away what the lineup is going to be, but that's something to look forward to. We will be doing this, essentially replaying a lot of those classics and talking about what made them great and how they hold up and and what their legacy is. So stay tuned for much more of that. And I lied. I want to take one more. This is from Nathan who says, is there a franchise that you would like to bring back or maybe an ongoing franchise that has lost its way that you would like to see return to its former self? Oh, wow. It's a very broad question. We got a lot of really great <laughs> thought-provoking questions. Like we got one that was like, what's your favorite video game level yeah. of all time? And I just sat there for like 20 minutes just trying. That's such an open-ended, like great question. I'd love to talk about that, but it would take a full episode and it would take me a day to just think of all of the great ones. So what do you think? Is there anything that yeah, you've I, seen kind of fall by the wayside I, I that think you'd that like to see come back? First-person first, first person shooter, I think, is not gone anywhere. Still a very popular uh genre and I've I've kind of criticized it at length over the last few weeks but I do think that it's at a strange place where um because of the advances in technology you're just able to uh present gun violence essentially in 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 a really almost photorealistic format that uh-huh. uh, raises all sorts of questions and then there's the fact that you know it's 
all the perks and all the bells and whistles and all the mechanics that have been added on top of this core shooting experience have kind of um, dampened the uh, innovation within the genre. So it's in a, it's just in a weird mm. spot right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to borrow from a couple other listeners who wrote in to us and asked for some games and whether they could be brought back. And I am fully in agreement here. John says Eternal Darkness. Will anyone make Eternal Darkness 2? There was a, a great retrospective piece on Eternal Darkness on Kotaku recently. Great GameCube game. I actually played it, even though it was scary. It told a, a great story, kind of spanned all of history. This family that was fighting a, a nameless evil throughout the ages. Really great game. I would love to see that brought back in some fashion. And Darius wrote in to ask about the chances that we could ever get another KOTOR game, mm. Knights of the Old Republic, with all the talk of EA being afraid of single-player-driven games. So I'll I'll shout out both of those as games franchises that I'd love to see come back. Knights of the Old Republic probably set the standard for Star Wars games. So if there were a way to reboot that, I would love to see it. And as for a franchise that's lost its way, uh, I don't know. Maybe Mario Party stands out, maybe as a, a game that was great and just sort of feels like it's been recycling itself for a while. Maybe that will change soon. Maybe that will change on Switch. But that, that stands out to me, uh, I guess. And, you know, then there's stuff like Assassin's Creed, which I think, you know, I, I, I don't know if, if it has to return to its former self. It sort of still is its former self, which is a problem for me. So that's just a separate problem when you don't deviate enough from the formula and yet you keep putting out games almost every year. That can be its own sort of problem. Uh, I have, so. You know what? Left for Dead by Valve. Ooh, the, yeah. The uh, co-op uh, zombie shooter Absolutely yes. one of my favorite co-op games of all time. One of my favorite gaming experiences ever. Um, yes. I don't understand. Zombies are obviously still incredibly popular. I don't understand mm -hmm. why that game is not franchised every single year. Why new maps aren't coming out. Why there isn't a, Why we aren't on Left 4 Dead 5 by now. I think the last yeah. uh, version of the game came out like 2012. Like bring me. Yeah, that's too long. Bring, bring me Left 4 Dead 3. Yeah, good call. All right. Well, thank you to everyone who wrote in. These were really great questions. Sorry if we couldn't get to yours. There were just too many, just an avalanche of thought-provoking questions. And we hope that you enjoy the rest of your Thanksgiving break, if you have one. And we'll be back in our regular slot next week. We got a, a one-week reprieve from giant games coming out, but there's still lots of topics that we want to get to. So we'll be back, as usual, next Friday. You have been listening yes. to Achievement Oriented, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Credible.com is an online marketplace for student loan refinancing. Using Credible's simple platform, it takes less than two minutes to find out if you're overpaying on your student loans. You could save thousands wow. by refinancing. Thousands. All you have to do is visit Credible.com slash AO, answer a few questions. Right away, you'll get real rates, not ranges of rates from multiple lenders. Checking your rates will not affect your credit score, so you really have nothing to lose. The average user who refinances through Credible.com saves almost $19,000 over the life of their loan. And for a limited time, <laughs> my listeners will get a $200 welcome bonus when refinancing through Credible.com slash AO. Again, that's Credible.com slash AO. <laughs> 